Welcome to the Unseen Unknown podcast. I'm Jasmine Bina. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Ria Muljadi. Ria is a business strategist that comes from the finance side of things. She's the current CFO of M Cosmetics, the current CFO of Divinum Capital, which is a crypto fund founded by perhaps one of the most influential influencers around, Michelle Fan, and she's the former head of finance for Ipsy. I really wanted to talk to Ria because she has a unique perspective. On one hand, she was literally there from day one, building the modern influencer-led beauty industry that we know today. And on the other hand, she kind of has an outsider perspective because she didn't come at this from a branding role. We talked about a few things. Obviously, we talked a lot about beauty and specifically if beauty is moving on from this shallow two-dimensional idea of youth that we grew up with, what is the new beauty about? We talked about what it means to create a woman's brand or a gender-specific brand. And we also talked about what it means to have a realization about yourself through a brand experience, something that I think we're all aiming for as brand strategists. Andrea also shares a really profound personal story about being an American and then choosing to change that identity when she realized that the title of being an American wasn't giving her the life that she imagined for herself or her family. You might have noticed by now that we start these episodes with business and we end someplace really personal. Ria was exceptionally generous on both ends of the spectrum, and I think you'll appreciate it. Okay, so Ria, I like to start these conversations with a big question. Mm -hmm. And the reason I wanted to have you in this conversation today is because beauty is is fascinating for so many reasons. It's Mm -hmm. one of the most purely branded spaces. But what's really interesting is I am hard pressed to think of another space where you have women founders creating products for women. I think it's really easy to find products in any other space that are founded by men for women. Like consistently, it's even harder to find women who create for men. That's even harder. But you know, that's 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 another conversation. But if you look at the beauty space, do you see anybody who's doing anything interesting right now? Like, are there any women who are doing something that's kind of tectonically shifting the space? Actually, I mean, not right now. I'm not so much in beauty. I follow maybe because my background is on financial. I actually one company on very fascinated with is Elvis mm-hmm. and with Sally Krachek and how she's trying to educate women about, you know, being financially independent and to know your money and because mm-hmm. money is power and to be very smart about it. And I think it's important. I don't think that messaging has been communicated. Money is such a, seems like it's a very men's world and women, no one ever think like women needs to know much about it and be very smart about it. So with my background, I mean, when I talk to my family or my friends, I always try to educate them. This is what you need to do. You need to take care of yourself. But yeah, I think that company is fascinating. I think it's it's really good what they're doing. Yeah. The thing about money that's interesting to me is that I feel like whenever you dig down, money is not about money. It's about self-worth. Yeah. If you respect yourself, you behave differently with your money than if you don't. Or if you trust yourself, you behave differently with your money than you don't. I feel like I've lived that experience as I've grown up and gotten more mature. But, you know, I I don't know if this is correct, but I feel like I remember that there was some criticism around Elvest mm-hmm. and this idea that it's specifically for women. And this is as something that happens with female narratives all the time. You know, is it right to create something that's just for women? Kind of, some people feel like it infantilizes things. Like, you know, you're creating like 
training wheels for women or you're is it really about inclusivity if you're leaving half of the population out and i think they got some flack for that i know there was another car company too that put out commercials like maybe a couple of years ago that were about letting you come in to buy a used car but it was for a female experience that was like less pressured and more transparent and things like that and i it bothered people and both men and women alike yeah what do you think about that when it comes to Elvest or any company that's trying to create something that's specifically for women? I think it's true that it it makes it seems like oh this this that are you saying that woman's not smart enough and mm-hmm. they need more hand holding? I don't see it that way. I just see it because the messaging hasn't been there, so you it's almost like you don't know. You know, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. So it's almost just like as simple as the criticism of, oh, if you're buying a latte, you know, you don't buy that latte. You need to save all of this money. But, you know, there are priorities and it's okay to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be shame right. for doing things for yourself. And right. I think this company, is, it's, it's important to have that messaging. And I don't think companies run by men would actually care about these things. And I don't think the point is to hand-holding because they think women are dumb. Mm-hmm. But I think... It is a fact that women needs to be more educated because the messaging hasn't been there. Right. And yeah, they need to know whether you're a housewife, whether whatever, you know, your profession, your teachers, mm-hmm. you do need to take care of yourself. It is it is important. So I think this messaging hasn't been around. So it's, it's good to keep repeating it. And there's a lot of questions like, you know, like, oh, do I need to share a joint account? Uh, what happened if my husband did this? You know, mm-hmm. and they, they talk about uncomfortable situation like yeah. oh what happened if you get a divorce yeah. and things like that you know you people don't want to talk about it it's yeah. almost like before it's taboo like you don't talk about it it's like love is forever marriage is forever but you know it's it's true it's life life happens you have kids you have to think about that and like what do you do if you don't plan and you just think everything's going to be perfect then that's that's not good you need mm-hmm. to protect yourself yeah so. So I think you bring up something interesting that I'm seeing a lot in the space around wealth management. So companies mm-hmm. like Wealthfront or Wealthsimple or, you know, a lot of people in that space are really leaning into the discomfort mm-hmm. around money. And, it, and not that it's a gendered conversation. It's it's very universal, I think, across the entire population. And they're dealing with a lot of uncomfortable emotions. And I think that's a really interesting place to build a brand. Money has always been so utilitarian Mm -hmm. when it comes to branding. You know, we have the best APR, APY. We can, you know, give you the most options when it comes to, you know, getting something financed or whatever. You know, we can help you save money. And we've kind of, you know, like I remember Digit, you know, we help you save money by siphoning it off of your account so you don't even miss it when it's Mm -hmm. gone. And I think the space has kind of woken up and realized that the real problem isn't how to save money. It's the emotional reasons for why we don't save money. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you're speaking to. The other thing that's interesting here is I feel like, and I'm guilty of this too, it's easy to criticize these, you know, kind of early messages that feel like, like, you know, like we had talked about, like, you know, hand holding too much or underestimating what a woman is capable of. But the fact is you need to honor them because these are the necessary stepping stones, right. right? I had somebody that I was speaking with last week on our last podcast. She was talking about, you know, the term girl boss kind of felt uncomfortable for mm-hmm. her. But the fact is 
just like you said, nobody was having these conversations. Mm -hmm. And like, you can't go from zero to 100. You need to have these halfway points, these stepping stones, so that we can reach a new consciousness, get comfortable here, make this our new baseline, and then move up to the next thing. And I think we're seeing that in a lot of interesting spaces where like, there are kind of a lot of emotional triggers at work. Especially as more and more women become founders that weren't really addressed before. And I think right. finance is totally 100% that. Yeah. I think it's easy to assume that, oh, yeah, I mean, women should have known that. Like, as, as simple as 401k or IRA, it, you know, how could you not know about that if you've been working for a while? But the truth is, a lot of professionals don't know about it. And I, when I was at Ipsy, you know, I also take care of HR and benefits. And I work with hundreds of employees repeating myself what it means, what you need to do. And, you know, and these are people with graduate degree and, you know, they're not dumb. They're Mm -hmm. well educated, but that doesn't mean they know. They know these things, what, you know, how the system works and Mm -hmm. how they need to take care of themselves. I think it's important to have it out there. I'm going to ask you something. I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Do you think that it's not that they don't know? Because I feel like the information is out there. And at some point, we're taught these things. Mm -hmm. But that when we turn away from important information, oftentimes it's because we're scared of something or we believe something about ourselves. Like I never really embraced math, even though I actually really enjoy it. But I always grew up with a story that I wasn't good at, Mm -hmm. at it. And I don't even know where that story came from. But like the stories affect our behaviors around these things. Did you ever get the sense that that was part of what was at play in your experience? Yeah, I think it's sometimes I think the information is too complicated that they'd rather just ignore it. Mm-hmm. Even conversation, but when insurance company come and talk about their plans, whatever, it gets so like complicated and people just go like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what to do. Just tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, they just give up. They don't want to do the research, whatever. And I think, it's important to keep this messaging because people, they grow up, right? They first, maybe when you're single, you don't care so much about it. And then you have married and you have kids. And I think this, again, these messages are very important because yeah, it is, you do have to pay attention to it and it will matter to your life as you go through these different stages of life. Mm-hmm. And I think making sure the messaging is simple enough for people to absorb and that's not intimidating. Mm-hmm. It's important because sometimes it's like, what? When, especially in Silicon Valley, when you start talking about stock option, people are just like, what? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, what do I do with my stock? Like, what does that even mean? I'm like, I agree to something and I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true because they, I think that just the message is just too complicated. There is a so way to just simplify it. It's more complicated. It. It's not, you think it's a matter of simplifying. You don't think it's a matter of like overcoming any kind of like biases or fears or anything like that. But I think part of it maybe there's also like, um, thought maybe if you believe like I'm I'm never good at money mm-hmm. so I'm managing money yeah. so it's like I I can never do this you mm-hmm. know so it's like I I have friends that that say that and I'm guiding them you should do this and this and they're like I don't know how to do that like I'm not good at it I'm like no there's it's not about being good you know just make good decision and plan for it yeah you know it's yeah. like you're not inherently good at money there's like you you need to learn you need right. to figure it out and yeah. it's Actually, yeah, really being important. good at money is kind of just like it's a misnomer. It doesn't even make sense. Yeah, it's it not something you're sense. good at. Right, right. That's interesting. I, I love it when like <laughs> that's language that like you deal with all the time. Like I, I say that I hear it, but it never occurs to you to stop and look at it and be like, this is literally nonsensical. You are not good at money. Yeah, you can't be bad at money. It's just something that you decide to either deal with or not deal with. I mean, that's that, interesting. Those biases definitely happen. I go to these meetings with 
bunch of investment bankers, right? Of mm-hmm. course, 90% are men. Mm-hmm. Or I, I go the founders and sit down with like investors, mostly men. Mm-hmm. They would automatically talk to the men. They mm-hmm. don't talk to me, even though I'm the head of finance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, I, I know more information about the business. I can spit out numbers and I know the data, but they don't talk to me. It's yeah. because the bias is, I, I feel it. I mean, I, I don't know if it's true. They just unconsciously doing it. Mm-hmm. It's like, she's a woman. She, or she's young. She won't know very yeah. much. And I go to the older men next to him yeah. and next to her, you know, to, to talk about it. Yeah. So there are these biases that makes you feel like, am I, do I know what I'm doing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's this, right. this, this confirmation, right? Yeah. This messaging is like, I, I take care of the business. I run it, but then day by day, but then you, you see, you talk to people outside the business and they don't even like acknowledge it. It's so it's almost like yeah. you start questioning yourself and, you know, like at Ipsy, I started was quite young and, you know, I'm one of the youngest one and I'm female, a minority, like it's, I'm not from Stanford. I'm yeah. like out of the, just the normal Silicon Valley, you know, yeah. head of finance. So it's people just like, they don't get it. Like what, what is this person doing yeah. here? You know? Yeah. So. You know, that reminds me of something really fascinating that actually just happened with one of our clients recently. A lot of times before you can even talk to somebody, and I'm really pulling a metaphor from what you just described. It's a thin thread, but it's there. Before you can even like talk to an audience, you have to show them that you see them. Yeah. You have to say like, we see you, you belong here. And then from there, you can talk about whatever it is that you're trying to change their minds about. I see this in branding all the time. A lot of times people will talk at their users, but they never talk on their level. They never acknowledge that, oh, you know, if you're, let's say you started taking online courses for something and your brand is like an online course. Mm. We see the sacrifice that you've made to be here. We see that you have other commitments. We see that it's really scary to like make this choice. Mm -hmm. You have to say those things a lot of times and acknowledge people so that they feel comfortable before you can even tell them like, this is what we believe education should be about. This is what we believe that Mm -hmm. you should, you know, how you should approach this second phase of learning in your life. And I think that, you know, it applies on a brand level, like macro. And then it also happens just like in, in interpersonal relationships, like you described, like in that, in that meeting. Yeah. So you've probably already seen some of this happening in your space because you work with a huge influencer Mm -hmm. and you've been there since the beginning with her and you've seen how that space has changed. But that's also very much about, you know, I think when influencers first came on the scene, it was exciting because people felt like they could see themselves in these people. Like the idea of aspiration was starting to change, Mm -hmm. right? It was very much like talking to a friend. And there's so much changing in this space, like influencers are dead, long live influencers. Like, you know, I feel like we're, we're so, we're always post-influencer, pre-influencer, the new age of the influencer. But what I'm more interested in is how the influencer is relating to the user. Well, how, have you seen anything in that relationship changing or, or taking an interesting turn recently? Well, I think like you said in the beginning, it's definitely, it's more raw, it's more original, right? It's like talking to your best friend. I think people are just so, tired of watching all this advertising you know ads on mainstream media and just people telling you this is what beautiful is supposed to look like mm-hmm. and then you have this group of just regular people like your friends and putting makeup on and telling them their honest opinion and it's just great you know it's, it feels fresh and then of course then 
beauty brands know this <laughs> and they start capitalizing on it and right. start you know putting money into it and then the relationship i think definitely changed because now it's like it's not really your best friend because you start questioning is there financial incentives behind sure. it and yeah. sometimes like watching social media is just ongoing ads mm -hmm. it, it just never stops right and in that way i, I feel like it's it's unfortunate because then even though you see something in social media, I don't think users who are smart would just believe it 100%. They will probably like look it up or read and make up talk or Reddit or whatever to see what tr try to read it and mm -hmm. see like whether this person get paid or not. Is this true? So it's not as honest, mm -hmm. you know, and also because there's maybe there's so many of them. The volume is just crazy yeah. and I, I, can't, I can't keep up before yeah. in the beginning i know like top five of influencers <laughs> in youtube and they're like the you know the one that people watch all the time now it's like i don't know hundreds of thousands whatever sure. it is yeah the unfortunate thing is that relationship that the trust is not as strong between you know the people who watch these influencers but i think in a way i see it as also in a good way is that the definition of beauty is expanding because you okay. see more representation yeah. in social media mm -hmm. because before you know when you just see magazines it's one it's almost it's templated in a way now that because there's so many of type of influencers you see you know even i don't know all kinds of skin color all kinds of uh, race you, yeah. you see like using these products you mm -hmm. know so i think in a way people can relate more it's like oh they, she just she looks just like me and yeah. she likes a product you know yeah. before it's it's hard to find that you know right that kind of reminds me of something else that i feel like i'm starting to see that i think is kind of separating influencer 1.0 to influencer 2.0 and that's that some influencers as they diversify like Chriselle Lim, for example, Michelle Fan, you know, mm -hmm. all the different new business lines that they're moving into. You can't go from being an influencer around one thing to suddenly having all these different forms of business without having a point of view. Mm -hmm. And Michelle brings her point of view to what she does. Chriselle Lim brings her point of view to what she does. And then you have people like Ami Song, who's amazing. And I think very, you know, she makes herself very vulnerable. She's very honest about her life experiences, but it's hard to figure out what she stands for. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't stand for like travel and fashion and fun. Like those aren't things that you stand for. If you want to stand for something and have a point of view, it has to be a bit divisive. Like mm -hmm. not everybody can agree with you. And I feel like some influencers get that and they're really starting to have a voice around an opinion mm -hmm. about something. But then there's still like people that are in the old paradigm that aren't catching up. I'm starting to see that and feel it. And I think... That's like the first iteration of growing up that we're seeing in this space. Yeah. I'm wondering if you have a comment on that because like you're seeing it full hand, firsthand. Yeah, I mean, I, you definitely see there are different types of influence, influencers and you, you see them maturing and you have, a, I think, a group that just want to please everybody. So yeah. you, you avoid the hard topics yeah. or you, you don't want to voice your opinion in one way or another because you know if you do that, you might take out half of your fans. Yeah. And it happens. <laughs> it I know. happens. Who was it recently? Um, God, I'm trying to think of the influencer, but she, oh, a friend of mine, Jessica Naziri, she runs TechSatch. She's a, a, a tech influencer. And when she started talking about her pregnancy and becoming a mother, because she wanted to shift to parenting tech, mm -hmm. she lost a significant number of followers, mm. which is interesting because, I mean, she still talks about very generalized tech, 
but she, now she stood for something. Right. And I think the people that remained now really love her more. Right. Because they they want to see that perspective. Right. They don't need tech reviews anymore. Right. They, they need to follow somebody that cares about something so that they can participate in that experience. Yeah. And the other half shouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah. I think mean, I think it's also it's question quantity versus quality, right? And yeah. you see even like there are a group of influencers that maybe the number of followers are a lot smaller, but the engagement is usually a lot higher. Yeah. Uh, you know, they respond, they answer, that there are more interaction mm-hmm. compared to maybe some influencers who have really huge following, but the interactions are not there just a number game so it's like what type of followers do you really want Mm -hmm. you know at the end of the day i see it sometimes when evolution of Mm -hmm. whether that's maturity and then you start figuring things out and you're understanding what's important what matters i think if you've been in the game for so long the numbers won't as won't matter as much anymore and then you start feel more comfortable always in your opinion yeah Uh, in the beginning maybe you're a bit scared and you know obviously there's financial reasons for that and you know you have to be smart about it but yeah yeah happens. totally okay you know so speaking about point of views there's i like beauty because it touches on so many emotional triggers mm-hmm. and i feel like so many of them have been solved for so coming to accept your body coming to di- accept your you know diversity being acne positive body positive I feel like almost everything in beauty has been solved for. But the one thing that baffles me is how do you solve for aging? I feel like brands, you hear things like instead of talking about anti-aging, they're talking about renewal or regenerance or radiance. And it's like they're just code words for the same thing. And I haven't had a chance to work on this problem for a client. But sometimes I wonder, what's the answer for aging? Because for the aging crowd, you're also kind of dealing, you know, with people in their 40s and 50s. And I think they come from a different value system oftentimes, not of their own making, but that they got culturally that as a woman, your value is equated to your desirability. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine being desirable in old age? Yeah, It's hard to say where the social construct ends and like the real human behavior begins. It's hard to think of like how you would change that bias or how you would make people feel that. And that's just one thing that, I mean, I would love to work on that. That that would be the solution of the century if you could figure that out, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think that's that's a tough one. Just because also, like, I, I grew up in Indonesia. I mean, in Asia, it's about having clear skin and, yeah. you know, uh, soft skin. And it's interesting. And I never really thought about it. But actually, my, my, my husband comes from Puerto Rico. And I think... I was very surprised when I visited Puerto Rico, their definition of beauty is very different and definition of body image and, you know, what we think of overweight or I'm not desirable because the way I look or whatever it is for them. It doesn't matter. They see beauty as it's like in Puerto Rico, people are so relaxed and chill and you see people not minding their body shape and they're still even like my husband, he's very expressive i don't know if it's being latin american uh, mm-hmm. and i never feel comfortable with that <laughs> I, I like i don't think my parents ever say i love you uh-huh because it's just they don't grow up with that yeah. and oh, which is fine but this expressing love expressing care mm-hmm. why not um not because what you look like yeah because who you are yeah you know just for me it's 
I'm very self-conscious mm-hmm. and I'm very like uncomfortable with a lot of things. And well, you and, and me and everyone else, <laughs> you know. And like when I go visit there, and people are just dancing or just they they wear whatever they want, whether that's sexy or whatever it is, they just feel good about themselves. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, oh wow, she's brave. She would do that. They're like. Do that all here all the time. It, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You wear bikini and you're for, for the definition of you know where I come from or where I live is overweight. They don't care. It's mm. like you're having fun on the beach. Who cares if you're wrinkled or old or fat or skinny, whatever it is. You know, yeah. it's like you see all kinds of types, and that I just feel like uh, in that island, people idea of loving someone is not because they how they look. Yeah. Yeah, you just you know you love someone because who they are. Yeah, I mean like, I would go as far as to say that I think beauty is probably entirely a social construct. Yeah, or at least beauty as we understand it. Yeah, it's so influenced by what we're told beauty is as we're growing up, and it's like impossible to escape. Yeah, but I think at least the good news is you know these things aren't hard coded like you describe. If yeah. it's so wildly different in other cultures, yeah. That means you can change the story for this culture. It would be a gigantic lift. I'm not yeah. going to deny that, but it's possible. And I love the idea of like looking at other cultures to see like what's possible. Because yeah. sometimes, unless you really do your research and brand strategy, it's easy to like assume that like oh we can't change people's minds about this because this is just human nature. But yeah. so little is human nature. Yeah. When it comes to spaces like this. Yeah, and I think because. The world seems smaller and smaller now because of information flow, and I think it's good to be able to see what other parts of the world think about beauty and what mm-hmm. they define as beauty. You know, mm-hmm. I, like when I grew up in Indonesia, I thought beautiful means having white skin. Yeah, that's why when I went to US, I don't understand why people want to get tan. <laughs> Yeah. I don't get it. It's like you, you already have a perfect white skin. Why do yeah. you want to make it dark? Yeah. Like in Asia, everybody wears umbrella under the sun. Yeah. Like you, you don't do that to your yeah. skin. But then you realize, oh, they just have different definition of beauty. And I yeah. think now that it starts going, for example, like Korean beauty starts going into the U.S. market, yeah. right? And yeah. people start seeing all, all these K-pop bands or mm. whatever it is. And maybe it's not mainstream yet, but at least. People start seeing, oh, in other countries, that's what they think about beautiful, yeah. and this is what this country. I think just having that even conversation, I yeah. think it's good to see what other places. You yeah. Know, think about. So I'm guessing also as like a founding member of these beauty companies, you have been very involved in like the research and product development too, because <laughs> you wear lots of hats, like we all do. Do you look at trends in other countries when you guys are evaluating what you're going to do with your own brand? We we definitely look at trends, but also. You have to adjust it, not just the trends, but also environment. Definitely, mm-hmm. like climate mm-hmm. with beauty products, it really impacting. Just because it's trending in Asia, but they're really humid here there, mm-hmm. it, it probably won't work here. Yeah, yeah. So you have to think about that. Definitely, I think looking at different region and different countries, trying to stay ahead, it's important to see what could be brought into this country and that could match. Where do you think the most interesting beauty developments are happening? Products, branding, anything? I think skincare mm-hmm. is really growing rapidly. I think mm-hmm. all the data that I've seen that's people more and more care about their skin. I mean, color obviously still dominates, but skincare there's a huge increase. People start getting educated. I think this ties into like beauty is not just superficial, but actually deep inside. Your yep. skin actually is yeah. good. You don't yeah. have to cover so yeah. much if it's already good. So you 
concentrate more on your skin. Yeah. I think it's interesting because, you know, in Asia, they've always concentrated in, in skin. It's mm-hmm. always been that way, you know, and now it starts coming into the U.S. And that's why I think I see the big increase there. The thing about skin is I think it's a convergence of a, of a few different trends. So suddenly the word glow showed up everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. It was this idea that beauty comes from the inside and mm-hmm. it emanates out of you instead right. of something that you put on your skin. I think that coincided with kind of like the organic, wellness, healthy living movement. Mm-hmm. Something else that I've seen that people have written about that's so crazy fascinating to me is if you look, if you go and see like what's in Sephora or what's in stores right now, there's a lot of food ingredients mm-hmm. in beauty. They talk about food, so like watermelon masks, papaya enzymes. I think Kiehl's has like a quinoa mm-hmm. thing and one of their things. Like you see food everywhere. Right. This isn't an idea original to me, but what's been described in this space is that people have gone from wanting to treat their skin to wanting to feed their skin. Like this belief that we should be feeding it. It's this living thing, which it is. And that's wildly changed our relationship to it because treating is about fixing something. Feeding is about keeping something alive, nourishing it. So like treating is getting, like I always use this metaphor, from negative one to zero, but feeding is getting from zero to positive one. Mm-hmm. That's a wildly different beauty story, right? right? It's, it's not that you're fixing your imperfections. It's that you are bringing out a beauty that's already inside of you, right. but you haven't realized yet. And this, I mean, anytime you can change a user's relationship to themselves, anytime you can change the way that they see themselves or see themselves in the world, you can own that experience and that's huge. And I think the early movers in that space totally got that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the way we, we, we think about food now. We're all so in tune with our guts. We never had a relationship with our gut before. Yeah. <laughs> but now we do, and it affects our behaviors. It literally affects the eating experience. Mm-hmm. You're thinking about your vagus nerve. You're thinking about your digestion. You're thinking about chemicals in your body while you eat. Right. That means eating is not what it used to be at all. It's a totally different thing. And the more that these spaces evolve, they just keep overlapping. Beauty, yeah. wellness, food. You know, stress management, parenting, they all, you know, they're all turning into the same thing. I feel like it started because now people talk more about well being, about, you know, your mental uh, well being. And people start realizing that, oh, yeah, it matters. (laughs) And actually, I don't even think about it until a few years ago. I work so much. And for me, the goal was career and financial security that was the two things that I was striving for and how do you get there you just work all the time yep. that's what you do yep I work I, I don't even remember I spend more time in the office and when I get home I work again mm-hmm. until I crash and I crash and it, it feels weird when you crash because then you just feel indifference I don't know how to describe it mm-hmm. you just feel so tired mm-hmm. numb. and then yeah you feel numb and I started reading Ariana Huffington book on mm-hmm. Thrive and mm-hmm. it's called Thrive and it was the first time I actually think oh there is such thing as like mental well-being like yeah. I have to take care of myself how long ago was that I think after my son was born so 2016 yeah so well into adulthood <laughs> yeah before you realize that and you didn't even look at yourself that way no, before no because yeah. I've been wired to you do well in school and then you work your butt off, 
in, in Silicon Valley, the mentality is you just work all the time. That's yeah. what you do. You dedicate yourself, your life to it. I, I read her book and, it, and she said, oh, there's a third metric of success. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that exists? Like, what? <laughs> I have to take care of myself? I don't understand what that means. You yeah. know, I, I literally read her book probably in a day. And I started thinking, oh, this is what burned out mean. Like, yeah. this is what I'm feeling. So I think that there are more discussion about it and people start talking about it that no it's not normal to be stressful all the time it's not normal to work all the time it's not normal to take two weeks maternity leave yeah i thought it was okay god mine was just four but two is crazy (laughs) i thought it was okay it's not normal to work with your laptop in the NICU when your kid is sick you know so it's like things like that it's just kind of just turn on like something in me and I'm like you know I have to stop this I have to figure something I have to take care of myself to be better mom to be a better person to be a better wife so I consider myself very well educated and I don't even think about this Mm -hmm. because I don't think the conversation was enough nobody talked about it enough and now that more and more people talk about it and that yeah it matters it's important and now I think all of these products comes with it, right? It's like, <laughs> whether like meditation app or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Take, take a break, break <laughs> uh-huh. everything. You know, it's about like beauty, taking care of yourself yeah. from the inside. Then yeah. you look, feel good. You look good. Yeah. And then you don't have to cover up so much. Yeah. You know? So I think it's all when this conversation started, everything's kind of, it's, it's almost like a floodgate that people felt it, but never knew what it yeah. is until somebody said it. It's like, sure. oh yeah, I felt that. Yes, yeah. that's, that's how I felt. And yeah. then everybody talk about it. So. so you heard the one right message at the right time and it just changed the way you like you went from thinking that you were doing everything right to suddenly realizing that you weren't doing things right. Yeah, because, you know, I, I thought that was the best thing I can do for my family to yeah. work all the time. Yeah, because giving them the security that they need, I have to do this mm-hmm. and dedicate all my life to it. But at some point, your body tells you <laughs> as your body shuts down and it's like, it's not right. I was literally took Excedrin every day mm, gosh, uh, uh, for years yeah, because I have migraines in the morning because I barely slept and that's how I go through the day. I went through the day by taking just pills just to yeah. make sure I keep on working. Yeah. And so unhealthy and now I realize that. But before it was just like, I work all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to have you here today, yes, to talk business, but I like to also talk to our interviewees about their, who they are as people. And there's something about you from the day I met you that has fascinated <laughs> me. I'm just going to give it a high-level overview, and then I want to hear you talk about it. So I met you the day that you were leaving America, and that was... The last week. The last week, okay. Yeah. And that was last year, mm-hmm. and you told me that you had decided that this country wasn't a good fit for you anymore, Mm -hmm. for your family. And so you were literally uprooting everybody and going overseas. Mm -hmm. And I haven't stopped thinking about that because you're going to describe why in a second, which I think is extremely compelling. But I brought your story up at every damn dinner party. (laughs) I kept wanting to ask people, like, could you do this? Because I asked myself over and over again, could I have done that? Could I have had the willpower to do that? I mean, we joke about, you know, if there's a second term, we're going to get up and leave. Where are we going to go? But I don't know if we have the courage and the 
the grit to start over someplace else, even though like we're very privileged and it wouldn't be that hard. Mm -hmm. There was something about the integrity behind your decision. And by the way, not everybody agreed with me. There were some people who felt like it was a cop out Mm -hmm. to leave the country like you had, which we'll talk about. But it just fascinated me and I couldn't stop thinking about it. So please, I mean, I've talked too much. Let me, let's hear like, tell me that process and why you did that. I guess going back to my story before that I started realizing I have to take care of myself mm-hmm. and my family. That mm-hmm. should be number one. Mm-hmm. So two things that kind of triggers in, in, in its accumulation of several years. It didn't just happen. Oh, one month and we decided to just pack up and leave. Sure. You know? So first it's the issue of safety in schools, especially. I have two kids, 11-year-old and 3-year-old. You hear the news of shootings and things like that and you get you do get desensitized. It becomes so often that the shock factor is not there anymore. You're just like, oh, yeah, another one. I was one of them. Uh, I was just, it's almost better to just ignore the news and get stressed about it. Then one day, my, my daughter came home and said, oh, we did a lockdown drill today. And then I don't grow up here, so I have no idea what these are. I was like, is it like a fire drill? <laughs> or what does that mean? I don't know what that means. And she Explain what it was. He said, well, if somebody bad come to school, they will announce a, a code word and then the, the door has to be locked. We all hide in the closet, stay quiet. If we happen to be in the restroom, we have to lock the restroom and we stay on top of the toilet, close the door and stay quiet until they say it's okay. And then I was like, oh, I, I was just, my heart was crushed. And I heard that. I'm like, oh, you have to do that at school. It's just, for me, it's like, why? <laughs> so to clarify, like an active shooter drill. Yeah, like okay. an active shooter drill. She goes, yeah. And I was like, were you scared? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm fine. And she said, we actually have done this several times. It wasn't the first time. I said, okay. And then she said, well, but you know what the first, uh, the worst part of it? And I said, what? When they don't tell you, it's a drill. Hmm. So I know... She must have this anxiety. I, mm-hmm. I, I know that because she would say like, yeah, this kid, he won't s- stay quiet. He keeps talking. And I said, you know, if you do this and this was real, then next time you do it, we're all going to be dead. Yeah. And at the time she was nine, 10. And I just think like a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old shouldn't have thought about this. It's too much. You know, and I was like, I have to do something about it. I, I can't, I can't have this anxiety. I left the U.S. because at the time there was a huge riot in Indonesia and people were targeting people who looked Chinese. Which is, that's why you came here? Yeah. Okay. Which is, that's why my, my parents like, you know, it's time for you to go. They mm-hmm. stay in Indonesia, but it's time for me to go. And it was hard because my grandfather was a veteran. He fought for the independence of the country, but then now the country is hunting me down mm-hmm. because the way I look, because of race, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, it was really hard for my mom to send me away. I was 16, and she's she, she's very nationalistic. She said, you know, at this point, the country doesn't want you, so wow. you need to leave, or it's not safe for you. So I left, and I don't want that for my kid to feel anxious. You know, it's just not right. So that's already start building. I'm like, I need to do something about it. I just don't know what it is. I want her to just be a child, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. So that's one. And then secondly, my son was sick and he was in NICU for three weeks and we were fully injured, but we, we got the bill. We saw what the charges were. 
before insurance coverage and it was like $800,000 or something crazy like that. And I remember at one point there was a 1 million cap and what happened if that still exists or it got put back in? That means the rest of his life, is he not going to get insured? Like what's going to happen? Because he he does have health problems. Mm -hmm. So what am I going to do with that? And then the hospital transferred him from one hospital location to another one. That's just 15 minute ride, ambulance ride. They billed me $9,000 because they said the ambulance was out of network. And I said, how would I have known that ambulance with your hospital logo on it is out of (laughs) network? Like, you didn't tell me. You know, it's it's ridiculous. First of all, 15 minute ride for $9,000. I could have just taken him in my car and it would be the same. And I actually had to fight for it and it's out of principle you're really taking advantage of people at their lowest lowest level you know stressed parents with sick kids that you can't make decision and you're like really trusting the institution to do the right thing and they they didn't they didn't and for me it's it's wrong and I, i even told my husband if we have to pay we can pay but just out of principle this is wrong this is not right so i wrote this letter this long letter of complaint and i said yeah i am unhappy and i don't want to pay and you shouldn't be charging people this much and they wrote it off Mm -hmm. they wrote it off and i think the only reason they wrote it off is because my connection i i have i know somebody who happens to be a big donor to the hospital but that's because i you can say i'm privileged Mm -hmm. to do that right but how about the rest of the people that in the hospital i just keep thinking about them because i was in the NICU with all of these parents yeah you know I, i about them i'm like and i literally say to them it's paid for so does that mean the hospital paid the ambulance company and where's the money trail i want to see the proof of payment etc and they're like oh no there's no proof of it we just write it off like it poof it disappeared so i'm like okay a real cost to begin with yeah so it's like i appreciate this but i just want to tell you that this is wrong you shouldn't be doing this to people you should write off everybody else Mm -hmm. because it doesn't make sense so those were the two things safety and health Mm mm-hmm and I feel like these are the two basic needs that I should be able to provide my kids and they shouldn't be worried about it. So we start thinking about it. We start thinking, oh, what ways and which countries and what where should we take them? So Yeah, in this part of the story you had mentioned to me, I think we had, we had, we had bonded here when we first met because I mentioned that my husband is a Reddit news junkie yeah. and every day I'm getting like this toxic download of like everything that's going yeah. wrong in the world and you mentioned your husband yeah, also. Same. And, but you invited him as a joke in the beginning to just like, okay, what are we going to do about it, right? right? Yeah, because you, you start getting... You get ang- anxious too, right? Yeah, you start absolutely. listening to this. I'm like, you know what? Rather than complaining about it and let's do something about it. What are you going to do about it? And then he starts just staring at me. I'm like, okay, you want to do something <laughs> about it? Yeah, let's do something about it. Let's plan it out. Let's start brainstorming. Yeah. We're unhappy. We worry about the kids, their safety, their health. So let's do something about it. Let's do something concrete. It's not just some dream or whatever, just do it. So we start planning. Mm -hmm. And so you also, I touched base with you after you had moved and I asked you how things were going and you related to me a a really small but very impactful story about being able to let go of your daughter's hand Mm -hmm. when you were in public. Can you, I mean, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but if you want to expand on that, that's a beautiful story that I think illustrates for people just like how this is not about a move. It's a very profound shift in just the way you're going to live your life. Yeah. In here, I mean, while we live in the U.S., 
whenever we go in public, I always hold my my daughters, my kids' hands very tightly because you always hear like child abduction and yep. you look at clothes and your kid disappear and things mm-hmm. like that, right? In public places, walking down the street and things like that, just never let them go. And it's, it's probably the first thing that I teach them to do. Always hold our hands every single time. Like never let us go in public. And they're trained to do that. After we move, obviously it's, it's just out of instinct. I do that, and my my husband would be like, "It's okay. You can you can let them go." I said, "But you know, we're in public, and what if they, what happens something?" And he he's like, "Look around," and I look around, and you see children running free, walking, and he's like, "They're fine." You know, look around you. These kids, they're running around, and they're fine. So you can let them go. And I started not holding their hands, and they're fine. And I can say, "Hey, get me a water bottle. Just go, <laughs> you know." And they come back, or get me ice cream, and, and they go <laughs> and they come back. You know, you, you you start building that trust, and everything's okay. Yeah. Everything will be fine. And you know, I I walk down the street in the morning, and you see a bunch of kids with no. Chaperones, they just go with their backpack and they go walk to school. And these are like eight-year-old kids, ten-year-old kids. Same at three p.m. when they come out of school, they're riding their bikes and everything. It feels a lot different because I would never let my kids walk to school by herself in Santa Monica. <laughs> I would never done it. I would drive her. I would drop her right in front of the gate. Make sure she walk in and the, the gate is locked, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But over there is. I need to shift because I, I see like they can be kids. Mm-hmm. They can be free mm-hmm. and it's okay. Mm-hmm. So That's fascinating. I could talk to you about this forever, but I want to just express like deep gratitude for being so sincere and honest about that story. I know it's personal, but I know when I heard it the first time, I felt something inside of me change because I had never allowed myself to see a world different than the world that I knew I was raising my kids in today. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been able to shake the thought. I don't know if I'm moving, but it made me look at my own life and my own circumstances as a parent living in Los Angeles from a foreign perspective. And I could really see things in a way that I hadn't been able to see them before. And I hope people listening to this have a similar experience with the story that you just told. So thank you for that. Thank you for a fantastic interview. It was fantastic talking to you about the beauty industry and your own experiences. And hopefully we could have you on again soon. Yeah. Thank you for okay. having me. Great. Great.